Thank you. Bless you all. Hey, uh, many of you uh, know the Kooning family, uh, Dave and Manami Kooning and their children, Annika and Kai. Uh, Kai uh, is the youngest, just graduated from high school with Jojo and Lon Lon uh, from HBA. Uh, so some of you know them from HBA as well. Uh, well, uh, Kai was in a surfing accident this weekend. Uh, he was struck by a, a big paddling canoe and got a very serious skull fracture. Has been in the hospital, uh, neural ICU. Um, so a lot of us have been praying for him over the last 24 hours. Um, he regained uh, consciousness uh, this morning, which is great, uh, but still has a long way to go. And those of you who know how that works, brain swelling and stuff like that can be an incredible danger. So would you join us in prayer? Uh, Eunice, uh, one of his teachers at, at HBA, and we'll just pray on behalf of the congregation, but if you could uh, just stand and, and lend your hearts and spirits to this. We want to get the kid out of the ICU, and that's a, that's a tough thing for the family. Well, Father, uh, we agree uh, together. We stand as your body in Christ in the name of the Lord. And we just send a spirit of healing to young Kai right now. He will regain full consciousness today. He will regain mobility in his limbs. And, uh, and he will discover the strength of the spirit that you have put in him. He will discover the strength of the testimony and the fiber of his being. We pray that the kingdom would come to him this very instant and that you would restore that family to stability and health uh, for your glory and for the sake of love, Lord. God, we ask that we would see your power in Kai and his family. God, we ask for your grace in this difficult time. We ask for your comfort. We ask for your provision. And God, we ask for protection um, from, from the attacks of the evil one, Lord. God, would you protect their hearts, protect their minds. I pray for clarity. Um, I pray for the lack of fear in spite of the, of, of the circumstances because of your presence, God. God, come, Lord, into this situation. We lift it up to you, our powerful God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Go ahead and have a seat. We expect good testimony from there. Well, Eunice and Taylor uh, have been part of uh, my life for over 20 years now. Uh, we have been a part of three different churches together, two of which uh, were church plants. Uh, uh, including this one, uh, that we helped uh, build and develop together. Um, so uh, I feel like they're, they're part of the story of the Sang family in a really big way and part of the story of Blue Water in a really big way, uh, some of the founders. And, uh, and just, you know, really elders of, of what's going on here. And every once in a while, we just like to give, you know, the elders. You're an elder. Not comfortable um, with that term. Just... Family time, you know, just a chance to just speak uh, into the fabric of the community, whether you know it or not. Um, a big part of the reason that you're here is, is because of, of uh, Enos and Taylor, who happens to be on the soundboard today with my son. Um, so, you know, in that spirit, in that family spirit, uh, let's uh, welcome her and what she says and appreciate how elderly she is.
Thank you. Thank you. All righty. Let me make sure I have a clock. All right. Um, we are in a sermon series on how Jesus did it. We've been spending the last seven weeks looking at Jesus as the model for how we are going to go about changing the world. To put it in another way, Jesus is the model for how we are going to go about powerfully living out our God-given purposes in our present situations. I emphasize present, not in later, when we have more free time, when we feel like it, when we feel better resourced, right? I think the challenge of this sermon series, or I think very often the challenge of blue water sermons is that we're being called to follow Jesus's way right now in our present situation, not later, right? That's the hard part, right? Um, and today, I'm going to talk about grace. Grace is a familiar idea that I think has a, feels like it has a really broad definition, right? Really wide. A dictionary definition calls it unmerited favor, which makes a lot of sense. Um, and then bigger than that, we recognize it when we see it. As in, when the Pharisees brought the adulteress to Jesus to be stoned, we see a picture of grace that is a little bit uncomfortable, but yet so powerful. And then a lot of us have experienced the freedom that comes from receiving the grace of God, especially when it comes to mistakes we've made in our past lives that we cannot change, right? When we have to live with consequences, the only way we go on is through the grace of Christ. Now, today, I want to focus on the connection between grace and fruit, specifically grace that Jesus taught and modeled, and how it's tied into how we bear fruit in our world. To get us going, here is not just one, but a series of warm-up questions. Pick one. If you pick all of them, I think it might be too upsetting. Um, and I, I want you to think about them and exercise some grace, okay? First one, what bothers you about blue water? going for the jugular, okay? What bothers you about other Christians? What bothers you about your workplace? What bothers you about your coworkers? What bothers you about your family members? And I didn't put it up there. What bothers you about your spouse? All right, don't make eye contact right now. Just keep, you know, we're not gonna ask you to yell it out. Keep it as an internal monologue. Now, what do all these places or people have in common? I'd say that if you're someone who's been trying to change the world in some fashion, these things are part of your landscape, and these people are often the partners that are supposed to change the world with you. Right now that I've got you all kind of slightly irritated and fired up on what you don't like about some things in your life, I'm going to try and steer us into more productive territory by asking you to consider the age-old blue water question. What do you think God is saying to you about that? It's not rhetorical, right? I want you to ask that question right now as best you can. 
And let's just take the next 20 minutes to listen, uh, 20 seconds to listen, not 20 minutes. Now, some of you might have a clear sense of why God is actually saying about your situation. And I pray that through the grace of God that you will find a kingdom way to respond. Right? But some of us, some of us, I think a lot of us, myself included, are unsure of what God would have us do about people or things in our lives that frustrate us or oftentimes hurt us. Right? How should we go about our mission when something, you know, X happens? When we feel stuck that way, how should we go on? What would Jesus do? Well, I think that the past seven weeks of sermons have offered us many helpful answers on how to get unstuck in our mission. But if nothing comes to mind right now, I recommend you go to bluewatermission.org during this week and get up to date by listening to the sermon. Especially if you are a parent of young children and can't remember most of what is said on Sunday morning. I highly recommend it. And if you have no time, which is how I feel all the time, I recommend you listen to the podcast at 1.6 times the speed. Saves a lot of time. And I found that Jordan sounds a lot more authoritative and intelligent when sped up. So pro tip, Jordan's saying, maybe speak a little quicker on Sundays. All right, back to our, back to our talk today. For today, I'm going to take a look at the parable of the weeds in Matthew to see how Jesus approaches problems or sin in the kingdom of God. To put things in context, in Matthew 13, Jesus tells a series of parables about the kingdom of God. So this isn't just the only thing about the kingdom of God. This parable is just one of them. And let's read from verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in the field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them out? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot them with them. You may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Now, later on in the chapter, the disciples ask Jesus to explain the meaning of the parable. And he tells them that the sower is the son of man, that is Jesus, and that good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. Now, what 
bugs me about the parable? First, what bugs me is that the enemy is allowed to sow bad seeds in the first place. The workers essentially ask, how did this happen? How can this happen? And Jesus does not answer the why. Right, he just says, the enemy did this. And then the servants respond, you know, in a very like, well, let's fix it, right? How, do you want us to pull it out? Do you want us to get rid of the weeds? And the owner's response, which is the second thing that bothers me, is not very convincing. Surely there's got to be a way to pull out some weeds, right? The blanket response of letting all the weeds stay, to me, is a little extreme. Plus, everything I have Googled about gardening, right, tells me that you've got to keep the weeds away. Nip things in the bud or they will take over, right? There is wisdom in that. And we have whole shelves at Home Depot committed to weed eradication, right? All kinds of poison, right? Even ones that fit particular weeds. So, what's the takeaway, right? Obviously, this may not be a literal lesson in farming, or maybe there is wisdom in what Jesus is saying. But in telling the parable, I think Jesus is clearly making the point that the kingdom of God is counterintuitive from our very earthly, practical point of view. I'm a high school teacher, as Jordan had mentioned, at a Christian school. And whenever I think about my job, I feel incredibly blessed, honestly, right? Because the people that I work closely with are really capable, effective, they're intelligent, and they're enjoyable to be around. And they love Jesus, bonus. And some of them come to Blue Water, double bonus, right? Pat yourself on the back, those of you who work with me. Um, and then the students who attend the school, possible, possible. We tolerate you, all right? Inside joke. All right, all in all, I think that I've got myself a pretty good field. You know, I, I feel I, I can be grateful for that. And then yet there are days when I find myself steeped in frustration because something at work isn't done as well as I think it should have been done, or when we see setbacks because of some weaknesses in the organization. Right, and then when I'm in that frustration, I'm complaining, I'm spiraling, you know, in grumpiness. And I, I find myself daydreaming about some kind of workplace that is perfect, where everyone is great at their job, where there is no dysfunction, and you always feel effective in what you do, where there aren't people or systems in place that get in your way or that are counterproductive. Don't get me wrong, I'm all about accountability, I'm all about excellence, I'm all about professional development. I am from Singapore, right? But when I dig a little further into my daydreaming, I realize that, that what I'm dreaming about, what I want so bad, is a workplace that requires no grace at all, right? Where I don't need to extend grace to people ever, and then people don't need to extend grace to me because they're all in their best selves. And when people are in their best selves, I will be in my best self and never need grace. Now, when I say it out loud, that is really ridiculous, right? You get it. I don't have to explain it, right? And, and I think, as I think about this, I think that people have the same expectation when it comes to relationships 
with family members, with spouses, right? We carry disappointment and grudges because we can't accept that people come packaged with weeds. And then when we let that stew, we start to daydream and we start to covet some kind of false ideal, right? And then we ignore the truth that we come with our own set of weeds and that we need grace too. So how do we get out of this space? How do I get out of this space? How does grace enable me to continue to produce fruit in my imperfect circumstance? So let's return to the parable of the weeds. And I'd like to sum up Jesus' teaching on grace into three parts. First, be shockingly generous for the sake of kingdom fruit. Now, Jesus calls us to be shockingly generous for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of fruit specifically. The workers have to keep tending to a field that is imperfect. Their work, part of their work, will be wasted on weeds that they know will eventually be destroyed. But they have to trust in the abundance of their owner's resources, right? People of God have to work generously. Focus on the wheat. Focus on helping people produce fruit. Don't get sidetracked by being fussy about the things that aren't right about, about it. You know, the kind of grace that bothered the religious leaders about Jesus was that he was too lax. He didn't declare judgment. He wouldn't pronounce, this is wrong and this is right. He just wouldn't do it, right? He refused to condemn the sinners, and that bugged them. And yet, many repented on account of his grace, right? That's, that's the part that we mustn't forget. He wasn't just some nice guy, right? There was fruit. Number two, a culture of judgment kills growth, don't miss the forest for the weeds. Okay, English teachers are cringing a little bit. Um, now, the owner didn't want the workers to pull out the weeds because the roots would have been tangled with the roots of the wheat. Pulling out the weeds would damage the wheat. In other words, if we cultivate an atmosphere of judgment, it will hurt the growth of believers. In a culture of judgment, as opposed to one of grace, everyone is afraid of mistakes, which means no one is willing to try. And if faith is trying, then judgment is a faith killer, right? Last month, my husband Taylor, who is the sound guy today, um, and I celebrated our 18th wedding anniversary. Yep. We're not spring chickens anymore. Oh, so sad. But we have two young, amazing children, Suvi and Nico, who are probably writhing around in the ground right now behind Taylor. Um, and thank you, Auntie Ashley, for helping me watch them. Um, now, parenting above all things has put a huge spotlight on my tendency toward judgment. I'm so grateful that I am in a church community where there are so many people that are much better at grace than I am. But my confession this morning is that I'm really bad at it. And parenting has highlighted that for me. Now, I've been enjoying my summer break with my two kids because I'm a teacher, so I'm off. And last month, we traveled a little bit. Um, and I've discovered that I've quickly perfected my judgment stare with my children. 
No words needed, very useful in public places, even more useful nowadays when you have to have your mask on, right? You just have to communicate with your eyes and eyes alone, right? That stare communicates absolute judgment, disapproval, and the threat of my wrath, right? You're saying with your eyes, you better stop now or else. All right, maybe it's just me, but I will be transparent. Um, and it's, and I, and sometimes I look back on my day with my kids um, and realize I spend a lot of time just telling them what not to do, right? Don't do this, don't do that. Uh, you know, just don't keep doing this. I told you not to do this, right? We say that all the time. And I'm not saying that correction and discipline are bad. There is wisdom in that. I mean, kids need the boundaries. Um, but... Thinking about this parable has challenged me to check myself and see if I have cultivated an atmosphere of judgment with them, with my children, right? And, and I think if I'm left to my human tendencies, my human fear-based tendencies, I will probably default to judgment as a way to bring people to repentance or to change. I think that's our default, right? And, and I think as a parent or whether or not you as a parent, um, and again, confession, right? Have you ever felt so mad and desperate to get someone to see the gravity of their sin and failure that you feel like you need to withhold your love from them as punishment, right? As a way to force them to change. Um, just yesterday, we went on a hike up the old Pali Highway. Um, and on the way down, there are some steep parts. I was, this, I was literally nagging my children not to run down the road because there was loose gravel at this part. And falling down on hard asphalt would be really painful. And I didn't want to deal with that. And as I was saying that, they both ran down the road and then both slipped on loose gravel and left some skin on the old Pali Highway. Right? Um... This was the moment, it was the perfect moment, most justified, served up on a dish moment for me to say, I told you so, and you deserve it, right? As my daughter cried over the loose flap of skin on her palm and her knees bleeding, like I just wanted like, I told you, I told you not to do this. But thankfully for her, because she, she had the worst of it, my son was fine. Um, I have been thinking about this parable all week, thinking about grace. And after taking some moments to breathe, some calming breath, and also because I have a husband who is a much better person than me, he's not overreacting, I told my daughter that I was really sorry she fell down and hurt herself. That was really hard to say. <laughs> um, and then she started to apologize for not being careful. And then at that moment, I had a choice to make. I could take that judgment bait right now and say, yep, you should have listened to me and you brought this on yourself, which is in fact quite true. Or do I take the moment to dispel shame and teach her about failure? Which was to tell her, that we all fall down sometimes, even when we are most careful. So don't be afraid. 
to try something or to fall. Now, is that bad advice, right? Maybe next time my children are going to fall off the poly and get hit by a car, right? Like you have these fears that if you don't correct it now, they will not be careful and then they will kill themselves. Like you have this fear. And there is wisdom in some of these things. But I think in the moment, I felt God was saying to me that why do you think grace doesn't work? Why do you think grace does not have power to change? Right, and then now I look back, and I think that she will still remember the lesson about the risk of running down a gravel asphalt road that's really steep. And I didn't have to do that through judging her, through condemning her actions, right? Um, and look at the religious leaders in Jesus' time. Their obsession with correctness and rules only turned people away from God and from growth. It also stunted their own growth counterintuitively, it is grace, the kind that Jesus modeled, that brought repentance and growth in the worst, worst of sinners. Which brings me to my next point. God's grace is powerful and bears fruit. The generosity of the field owner, allowing the weed and the wheat plants to grow together, results in the wheat being harvested later on. Jesus wasn't just a nice guy who made the lowlifes feel accepted. He also called them to repentance and turned them toward God, the Father. And to be honest, sometimes I, I don't know what I would do, right? Sometimes maybe you just have to call out sin, you know, and say, yeah, that was a bad choice. Um, but sometimes, yes, you might say that, but you also invite grace in and say, you know what? Let's... Let's, the moment right now is, is to be loved, is to be gracious, right? And so if I, if I don't know what to do, here's my last point. I will come back to my last point. Stay focused on your mission. What is your mission? To change the world, to bear fruit, to help others bear fruit? More specifically, um, it could range from something like what Vern does, she's not here today, on transforming the lives of trafficking victims. Um, it could be parenting children so that they would see the world through a kingdom of God worldview. Or it could be supporting a friend who recently was divorced, right? Jesus reminds us that one day, one day the righteous will shine like the sun. He said this at the end of his explanation of the parable in verse 43. But he says one day, not now, later. So stay the course, as we learn in the sermon series, Jesus refused the shortcuts that Satan offered. Jesus stuck to the basics. He made choices to put God in charge. He never grasped for political power, even though people really wanted him to. And he could have made a difference, some difference, if he did that, I think. But he kept his eyes on his mission, which was the cross, which was to die, which was to humble himself and wait. Wait for the greater victory right? So we keep our eyes on the end, we keep our eyes on the harvest, and we wait. For the sake of the wheat, we wait. The workers don't get to do the harvesting or the judging. We work the field with weeds and all, and that is what we are called to do. That is our mission. So to close, um, let's take a moment to pray. If you will bow your heads with me. And, and I want to invite God to speak into the places in our lives where we find ourselves really short on grace. 
where we find it hard to believe that grace is powerful, that grace can transform, and where judging has become our default frame of mind because that feels safer, safer um, and somehow that feels stronger. But I think that is a lie. How can we be shockingly generous for God's kingdom? Can we trust in the abundance of God? God, I ask um, for your help, Lord. Um, in, in the field that we see before us, in all our different situations, Jesus, I ask that you will open our eyes to see every day, one day at a time, the power of your grace, the power of your, of your, of your redemption. And I ask too, Lord, that you help us receive the grace that you offer us. I ask that you humble us and you free us from shame. that you take away fear and you help us to trust in you, Lord. Come, Lord. <laughs>